This message comes from NPR sponsor Total Wine and More. With the lowest prices for over 30 years, find what you love and love what you find at Total Wine and More. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly. Be 21. Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. Ask just about any comedian in the last 20 years to name their influences. Maybe ask a hundred of them. Make one of those word clouds from 2011. The name that you will see over and over again, big, big letters in that word cloud, Stephen Wright. Go see him on stage. It is joke after joke after joke, but not rat-a-tat-tat like an old Borscht Belt comic. In fact, the opposite. Slow, steady, sometimes surreal. Curiosity killed the cat, but for a while I was a suspect. (laughs) When I die, I'm going to leave my body to science fiction. That's that classic Stephen Wright deadpan, a voice that has served him well not only as a stand-up, but also as an actor, like in Reservoir Dogs. That was the Partridge family's Doesn't Somebody Want to Be Wanted, followed by Edison Lighthouse's Love Grows Where My Rosemary Goes, SK Billy's Super Sounds of the 70s Weekend Just Keeps On Trucking. Lately, Wright has been changing things up a little. He just wrote a novel, his first. It's called Harold. Harold's a book about a seven-year-old boy. It's not really a coming-of-age story or anything like that. In fact, it's pretty light on plot. Instead, it's an interior monologue, a day in the life of a dreamer. The kind you've got to imagine the author was when he was young. It's a beautiful and hilarious book, and I am so glad to get to talk with the great Stephen Wright. So let's get into it. Stephen Wright, welcome to Bullseye. I'm so happy to have you on the show, or I think... I was trying to figure, I I interviewed you once on the show, I think it was 20 years ago now. So thank you for coming back. Thanks for having me. Yeah, one time before, right? I don't really remember, do you? No, I remember that we did it. And I remember thinking that you seemed really nice and lovely. That's my main memories of it. Thank you. Those days are gone. (laughs) 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 were you nervous to write a novel no i wasn't because i didn't really sit down to to write a novel i just you know i wrote this article for rolling stone magazine It wasn't an article it was a short story a fairy tale about how the beach was invented i wrote that in like 1986 and 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 very surreal and 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 every few years I would read it again because I liked it and I would think I should write something else sometime but then I never would but then the last time I read it I thought I should write something else because it's so different than the stand-up so I just started writing Harold was in third grade and then uh I didn't think I'm, oh, I'm gonna write a novel I just started writing it and then it 
just started getting longer and longer, and then I thought, let me see how long I can go. I mean, I guess that's as good a reason as any, to find out how long you can go. Yeah, I mean, it's different. Like, the stand-up just floats into my head from my everyday life. I'll walk down the street, I'll see a sign, or I'll talk to someone, and they'll say some word or some concept, and it's like, oh, then, oh, that could be this. Oh, that that could be this. But the, this was like sitting down on purpose, which is completely different. Stephen, Harold spends a lot of time thinking about and talking to his teacher in class. This mostly takes place in class. And that sense when you're a kid of how important your teacher is in your life is something that as an adult, I have a hard time even wrapping my head around. Like, I, I remember, you're like, this is the entire representation of adulthood to me other than my parents is this person I go to see for six hours every day. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And can tell me to do anything and I have to do he it. Is. Yeah. He, he doesn't, Harold doesn't talk back and forth to her much. I mean, he answers the questions and everything. Uh, and there's a lot of what he says in his mind that he doesn't really say out loud, you know, wise, wise things. It, it just it just got going, you know. It was a fascinating, creative thing because as I kept making stuff up, then things I would remember things that I thought of before, just because I thought they were odd or interesting. And, and, and then as I wrote, these things would float up like they were underwater, and they would float up into my consciousness and I go, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, I can put that right there. Oh, I'll put that right there. Like the fact that your teeth are the only part of your skeleton you can see while you're alive. <laughs> you know? That's this like, so that floated <laughs> up and I'm going, okay, I'll have him think this. One of the main things in the book is the rectangle, the description that is inside of his head. His, he thinks that the inside of his, and he doesn't think this really, but there's a little, his head is full of thousands of birds, and there's a little tiny, each bird, bird represents a thought, and there's a little rectangle window in the middle of his brain, and when the uh, bird flies through the rectangle, whatever thought that bird represents that's what he would think of so the inside of his head is like an indoor sky with thousands of birds and that I thought of years ago for no just I mean I just think of stuff for no reason I don't know how or why I thought of it but again when the book started going I thought oh, oh yeah oh yeah and that floated up and I thought oh, oh, oh yeah I can put that right here I'll have him I mean, a lot of it is me. I'm saying I'll have him. I mean, a, a ton of it is real stuff. I mean, that's not real, but I thought of it before. So I put that in, and then I realized that now I can, 
I didn't put it in for this reason, but now I can change the subject constantly and blame it on the birds. I mean, there's a reason. You know, because my mind, the stand-up just jumps around, and even the... My mind jumps around. I'm not a story guy. I mean, I'm not this kind of a story, maybe. But there's, it just, it was just like, just kept going. So when I thought, put the rectangle in, I could move, move around. You know, one goes through, it represents lifeboats. So now he's thinking about lifeboats. He's thinking about the Titanic. He's thinking about how there wasn't enough lifeboats on it and... That ricochets to like lifeguard chairs. They, sh- they should be everywhere, not just near the water, because people need to be saved. Besides, just at the water, you know. And it just right. kept ricocheting. How do you catch those things when you're writing stand-up? Do you write them down in your phone? Do you carry a notebook? No, you know, since the phone, I write it right into my note section of one of my note sections is it's for stand up and it's just this that's where it goes i used to write it on little pieces of paper and then i would when i got home i'd write it into a notebook i used to remember if i didn't have paper i could remember two or three of them and then when i got home i'd write them down but they're written down Im- immediately because to me a, a good idea is precious it's like a little piece of gold it, you know, a little, a new idea that that's different, that's never, that's unusual. Oh, oh. So to not write it down and have it float away is, is horrible. I learned that way early doing stand-up, how important the ideas are, because that's the whole thing. It's all ideas. Especially if each idea that you managed to grab hold of is 15 seconds of your act rather than five minutes of your act. You know what I mean? <laughs> like you have to have a new, you have to have a new idea for, uh, you got to have three new ideas a minute for, for what you do on stage. I think there's a lot of comics who just think of, uh, uh, you know, w- what was the meeting where they designed spoons and then they just think of, they think they got 10 spoon jokes and for their five minute meeting, they designed spoons chunks. <laughs> Yeah, it's less than 15 seconds. The the joke with the laugh is about five or seven or eight seconds. That's that's how it comes out about. I would go on TV, do a TV appearance. Five minutes was about 20 or 22 jokes. It would land out as that. It's, it's, you know, it's interesting because it's the only way I know how to do it. Like people would say, oh, they're so short, you need so many. Yes, that's true, but I never thought of it like, oh, I, this is horrible. You know, it's like, it's just it. It's like my height. Okay, that's my height. I'm fine with my height. But the time, like for only, for every three or, every three I think of, of three to four, only one gets a big enough laugh to stay in the show. 
So, I mean, I slide them in in the show. I slide them. I know where I'm going to try them. And if, I, if it works three times, it'll always work. But if it never worked, if it doesn't work three times, I throw it away. So you're writing like three times as much as when the audience sees the basic show that works. It's three times longer than that has been written. You got to chop it. You got to just take the ones that work. The audience, they unintentionally, they're the editors. They're editing the show. They don't know. They think they're just watching the show, which they are, but they're in, they're in charge. Stick around. More Bullseye Around the Corner from MaximumFun.org and NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Total Wine & More. With the lowest prices for over 30 years, find what you love and love what you find at Total Wine & More. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly. Be 21. This message comes from NPR sponsor Teladoc Health. There are lots of reasons for wanting to be healthy. Family, work, living a fuller life. Teladoc Health understands. Whether you have diabetes, high blood pressure, or just need to manage your weight, Teladoc Health can help. Visit teledochealth.com slash what's your why for more information. That's T-E-L-A-D-O-C health slash what's your why. This message comes from Apple Card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase. That's 3% on products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. When voters talk during an election season, we listen. We ask questions, we follow up, and we bring you along to hear what we learned. Get closer to the issues, the people, and your vote at the NPR Elections Hub. Visit npr.org slash elections. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. I'm talking with Stephen Wright, stand-up comedian, actor, and novelist. I want to play some comedy from your first appearance on The Tonight Show in 1982, which we can talk about the extent to which it, it came out of nowhere. But first, let's hear a bit of it. One time, right in the middle of a job interview, I took out a book and I started reading. The guy said, what the hell are you doing? I said, let me ask you one question. If you were in a vehicle and you were traveling at the speed of light and then you turned your lights on, would they do anything? <laughs> he said, I don't know. I said, forget it then. I don't want to work for you. You're more demonstrative in 1982 than you are in 1992 on stage. There's a little bit of trying to welcome the audience into the show. You show your, you show your face warmly a few times. Oh, yeah? Um, oh. Yeah, it's true. Uh, you got scouted in Boston almost completely happenstantially. There was this famous comedy show in, in Boston at a Chinese restaurant. Yeah. Did you know when you were performing there that there was somebody from The Tonight Show in, in the crowd? Yes. Um, 
I have had so many lucky things happen in my career and in my in my life. I mean, I mean, you can be talented. Everyone you know, you're talented, but that's just part of it. There's other things line up that you have no control over. Timing and, and here, be you there, you're right there. You know, just weird. Like there was the. Uh, Ding Ho Comedy Club was in Cambridge, Inman Square in Cambridge. It was half, the front was a comedy club. You Originally it was for music, like folk music. And the back was a Chinese restaurant. So Barry Crimmins, the great Barry Crimmins, one of my best friends, He, in fact, I dedicate the book to, to him and Peter LaSalle. He had this club, so it was weird. So some woman, some freelance writer writes an article about it because it's an odd situation. And then for some reason, I don't know why, it goes in the L.A. Times. I don't know why it went in the L.A. Times. And then Peter LaSalle, who was the producer of The Tonight Show, he saw the article, and that stuck in his head, and then like eight months later, his kids were getting out of High school, they were, so they made a trip east. They were going to go to Massachusetts and New York to look at colleges f- for their kids. So he went to Massachusetts, and he, he remembered the article. So then he called the club up, and he said that he was from the Tonight Show, and he was going to be in the audience. Do you see all, even that, do you see that? Like the, like the, just, and, uh, that's why he was there, because the woman wrote the article. Why did it go in the L.A. Times? What if they didn't, the kids were going to go to college, so he goes there then. And then I was one of the comedians, and I didn't talk to him or anything, but a couple of weeks later I got a phone call from them. That must have been unreal. It's, it's totally like in the movies. Like, I mean, I was making enough money Barely to pay the rent, you know the rent. You live with another guy, and it's like 180 a month or something. So I was making just enough money from the comedy. So I'm in. I'm sitting in home in the day, in the middle of the day, watching the cartoons. My friend was. I don't know where he was. I think he. Anyway, the phone rang. It was not Peter Lasselli, but it was another guy, Jim McCauley from the Tonight Show, and he said. Yes, Peter saw you, and we'd like you to go on the Tonight Show, or write for the Tonight Show. And, and I said, what do, you, "Do you mean just from when he saw me do that seven minutes?" Yes, but we need to. Uh, if you have a videotape, we want to show it to the other producer, uh, Freddie DeCordover. So if you can send that out, okay. And I, I had. I hung up and I, it was like a seven minute conversation. Then I called people I knew, no one was home. <laughs> Sitting there in this hallucination. I had one video of me on stage, it was a different club. I didn't even have shoes on, I had flip flops. I sent that, I sent that out. <laughs> But they liked it. That Peter LaSalle changed my whole life. I mean, because of putting me on there, everything changed. 
I still know him. I became friends with him, and I, I still know him. But Johnny Carson affected my life twice, because from watching The Tonight Show when I was 16, 17, 18, 19, that's how I even thought of wanting to be a comedian, from watching that show, seeing these comedians come out and talk about life and in a funny way and then sit down and talk to him and I thought oh my god look this is unbelievable look at this I would like to do that maybe so then when I went on then it changed everything twice my producer called me earlier today I was preparing at home and he said we should have an acting thing I kind of think maybe you don't want to have Reservoir Dogs. You've had so many wonderful projects where you've played Stephen Wright-like characters. And I was like, yeah, no, I don't, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't really need Reservoir Dogs. And uh, it's like, oh, but I, I did pull Babe Pig in the City for you. <laughs> I, was, I was so grateful. I was so grateful. Thank you, Kevin. And everybody in the Bullseye staff for pulling Babe Pig in the City. One of my favorite movies of all time. Really? Hopefully America knows that. Oh, yeah. Babe Pig in the City is a great movie. Love Babe Pig in the City. You, you're the voice of... Uh, Babe Pig in the City is a little hard to explain to people who have only seen regular Babe, which is also a wonderful movie, of course. But in Babe Pig in the City, Babe goes to this kind of home, this sort of refuge home for pets and animals in a city that doesn't allow them. And your character is in a, an ape and monkey performing troupe led by Mickey Rooney. (laughs) Um, And, and it's in this sort of like weird, sad, scary hotel. And this is a scene that we're about to play where a monkey runs in, steals Babe's suitcase and takes it away. Babe has to follow him down the hallway. And the monkey sort of goes back with his weird performance troupe, slams the door in Babe's face, and Babe is trying to get in but can't until the door opens. Oh, I'd like the bag back, please. Hey, Pinkness, look at the little guy. You want to break his heart? But, But it doesn't belong to him. All I know is what I see. Tug comes in with the bag, just doing his job, collecting stuff, and you barge in here, accusicating and making demandments. I didn't see you with the bag. Who's to say it belongs to you? I'm not leaving without the bag. (laughs) What's amazing about it to me is you so often play... uh, play a, you know, there's something like your stage character, which is sneakily warm, right? And in this film, this character is really kind of distressing. <laughs> <laughs> like he has a meanness, <laughs> like a nice, a nice Yeah, and meanness. discomforting. Yeah. I don't really, I, I mean, what got, I liked about that, many things about that movie is the, I, I didn't meet Mickey Rooney, Mickey Rooney, but the idea that I'm in a movie with Mickey Rooney just kills me. It, that's just so fabulous and wild and insane. 
That's surrealism to me. It's combining realities. Him, him and his whole career, and then I'm in with something with him. It's, it's like, remember I said the two mosaic things? Like It's like two things. Oh, my God. I was just amused when I went to see the movie to see my voice coming out of a monkey. I mean, it was just wild, <laughs> you know, because it's a real monkey, right? And they're doing something with his mouth to make it look like it's moving. That is wild. And it had that movie had a darkness to it, like you're saying. The, the first one was had a happy, kids like happy thing, but it's almost like. I, I, was it Peter Jackson? Who was the director? Whoever did it was like, it was a whole other, it was like <laughs> this whole other guy got in charge of it and and kind of made it not really sweet anymore. <laughs> George Miller, the creator of Mad Max, director <laughs> of Mad Max, Mad Road, Max. <laughs> other films. More still to come with Stephen Wright. After the break, how much coffee did it take him? To write a novel. Too much, probably, but it got the job done. We'll talk about it in just a minute. It's Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. This message comes from Schwab. It's easy to invest in ideas you believe in with Schwab investing themes like online music and videos, artificial intelligence, and electric vehicles. Choose from over 40 customizable themes. More at Schwab.com. This message comes from NPR sponsor Bluehost, introducing Wondersuite. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few questions and get a unique, customizable WordPress website or store right away. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hello, sleepyheads. Sleeping with Celebrities is your podcast pillow pal. We talk to remarkable people about unremarkable topics all to help you slow down your brain and drift off to sleep. For instance, we have the remarkable Neil Gaiman. I'd always had a vague interest in live culture, food preparation. Sleeping with Celebrities, hosted by me, John Moe, on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Night-night. Welcome back to Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. If you're just joining us, my guest is Stephen Wright. He's an award-winning stand-up comedian and actor. He's appeared on everything from WKRP in Cincinnati to the Larry Sanders show, Reservoir Dogs, and please take note, Babe Pig in the City. He is also now a novelist. His debut is called Harold. It's out now. Let's get back into our conversation. Are you uh, offer only? Are you going out on auditions? I I get offered things. I I used to go on auditions, but now things just come in or not come in. But I don't think about it really. I don't I don't have this thing of acting. I, I mainly it's thoughts. I'm always writing something down, going over what I've written down. It's amazing how, how, like, it's just part of my my f- existence. Is I, I I have a good imagination, but then when I drink coffee, it's like I'm on I'm a madman. I, I get high for like two hours on caffeine, 
I even thanked caffeine and I thanked coffee in the book. I don't know if you in the acknowledgments. I noticed that in the acknowledgments there. <laughs> I like thinking. I like making stuff up. I'm, I'm, I'm. It's fun, you know. It's just fun. It's fun making these things up. I don't feel a pressure of it. Oh, you're gonna make more of them? What? What? How? How much? You know, the book was fun writing. I was writing it for a few years. I had no book deal at all. I was just writing it cause to see if I could write it. And then years later, a publishing company contacted me to see if I wanted to write a book that I was already writing it. So, But the, the, to create in a playful way is very important. Can I ask you what your grandfather was like? Harold's grandfather is a big part of this book, or either of your grandfathers. Well, you know, the grandfather in there is not based on a real grandfather. I had an Italian, I'm half Italian, half Scottish. Both of them came from, uh, one from Italy, one from Scotland, so they had accents. And But the, but the, the kid, Harold, uh, that's just happened like as I was writing it I'm fascinated by a guy who's old and a little kid because I think it maybe says that in the in the in Harold it's like a circle it's like one guy is almost out of the it's a circle with a little gap that it doesn't meet you know what I mean so so Harold's just starting this circle to go around and this guy's gone all the way around, but now they're standing opposite each other. They're close, even though they're... One guy hasn't done experienced barely anything, and the other guy has experienced almost everything. And I think the older guy, you know, he's philosophical and everything, and he knows how much of it doesn't mean anything. I just I'm just fascinated by that little kid older guy thing. It's amazing to me. I love the grandfather giving him advice and everything. This is an unusual question. You are from Massachusetts. You're in Boston right now. I'd say a third of the photographs of you on the internet <laughs> Uh, you're wearing a Boston Red Sox hat. Was it weird for you as it was for me when there was a guy named Stephen Wright pitching for the Boston Red Sox? Yeah. Yeah, that was weird. I remember a friend of mine telling me I wasn't following it. What? That was just bizarre. It was amusing, though. And he was a knuckleball pitcher, which is the, I mean, the Stephen yes. Wright of pitchers. <laughs> yes, I wanted to meet him, but I didn't. Yeah, it was weird. He was on there like three years, I think, so to hear my name, you know, in the lineup and during the game, that's that's just funny. That's funny in itself. And it's perfect that he was a knuckleball guy. You know, in, in Harold, he goes to... He, there's no kids in his neighborhood named Harold 
Then he goes to first grade, and then he sees that other, there's other people named Harold. And I love He doesn't know that that could even happen. So then he's very disturbed by this, and he comes home. He's thinking about it on the bus. Do you remember the, this part? He's thinking about it. He's very upset, and he comes in, and he says, says it to his mother, and she says, get away from me, just get away from me. <laughs> <laughs> so the Stephen Wright is a, like a giant Harold thing with the name, the same exact name. Well, Stephen Wright, I sure am grateful for all this time getting to talk to you and, and for this beautiful book and your great work as Thank well. Thank you. Thank you. Good talking to you. That was fun. Thank you. Stephen Wright. His new book is called Harold. Go find it at your local bookstore or at bookshop.org. That's the end of another episode of Bullseye Bullseye, created from the homes of me and the staff of Maximum Fun in and around greater Los Angeles, California. I've been having a nice time driving my tiny Japanese van around, but my car's been in the shop for a month, and I just got it back, and uh, I'm happy to drive on the freeway again. Our show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our senior producer is Kevin Ferguson. Our producers are Jesus Ambrosio and Richard Roby. Our production fellow at Maximum Fun is Brianna Paz. We get booking help from Mara Davis. Our interstitial music is by Dan Wally, DJW. Our theme song is called Huddle Formation, written and recorded by the Go Team. Thanks to them and thanks to their label, Memphis Industries. Bullseye is on Instagram. We share interview highlights, behind-the-scenes looks, and more at Bullseye with Jesse Thorne. We're also on Twitter, YouTube, and Facebook. And I think that's about it. Just remember, all great radio hosts have a signature sign-off. Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Capella University. With Capella's FlexPath Learning Format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. In this country, some truths aren't self-evident. And NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of stories as wide-ranging and real as the people who tell them, we celebrate the Black experience for all its soul and richness. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get podcasts.